Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Let's just pray for Marco now. Father God, we thank you for our brother Marco. We thank you for the word that you've given him today. And we pray that you would help him and equip him as he brings your word to us. Pray that he will be clear. Pray that our hearts would be challenged and that you would help him to really explain what you've got to say to us today. Amen. Over to you, Marco. Thanks, John. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, lovely to see you again this afternoon. Hope you're keeping warm on this uh, chilly afternoon. Well, um, some of you know that I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I know some of you did too. Um, St. Michael's in Rondebosch in Cape Town was, uh, was where my family and I attended. Uh, it wasn't far from home, and I was there at least three times a week. Mass on Sunday mornings and catechism classes twice during the week and sometimes other things going on as well. So I, I spent a lot of time at the buildings, got to know the place really well. Uh, it's a lovely place, actually. It's a nice neighborhood uh, at the foot of the mountain, Table Mountain, that is. Um, nice gardens, uh, lots of flowers. The building itself, though, isn't all that impressive. In fact, it's quite plain. It's a dark red face brick with dark gray slate roof you drive past it without noticing but inside inside is a different story uh, along one wall of the building there are eight massive stained glass windows showing scenes from the life of Jesus 
And along the opposite wall, another eight huge stained glass windows uh, depicting major characters from the Bible. Uh, this Adam, Moses, Mary, Peter, I don't remember who else, but they are beautiful. The one wall gets the morning sun and the other wall gets it in the afternoon. And when the sunlight hits straight on those windows, they are truly beautiful. You could sit there for ages staring at those scenes, uh, swept up in your imagination into the stories they represent. You could easily imagine yourself sitting amongst the people of Israel at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses, his face shining with the glory of God, reading the Ten Commandments from the stone tablets. You could easily imagine uh, standing by the wayside, watching as Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha. From the inside, that building is a different thing than what it appears to be from the outside. From the outside, it's rather plain. From the inside, it's magnificent. Now, so far in his gospel, Mark has been taking us on a tour from one stained glass window to the next, each window showing us one scene from the life of Christ. The first stained glass window was a picture of John the Baptist, herald of the long promised king, proclaiming to Jerusalem, the city of the king, he is here, the mightier one has come, make straight the paths of the Lord. The next stained glass window showed Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan, identifying himself with sinful man, accepting the mission his father had given him. And the gates of heaven parted as the father looked down from above and his voice filled the skies. My beloved son, with you I am well pleased. In the third stained glass window, we saw Jesus at battle with Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. Fourth window, from the wilderness, Jesus striding victorious to Galilee, proclaiming the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the gospel. In the fifth window, he begins to call his disciples. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, follow me, he said. I will make you fishers of men. Sixth window, the clash of kingdoms. Jesus casts a demon spirit out of a man in the synagogue on a Sabbath morning. Seventh window, Jesus heals many who were sick and casts out many demons. Eighth window, Jesus alone in the dark, early morning, praying to his father in heaven, receiving strength and reassurance from the one he knew loved him with an everlasting love. In the ninth window, we saw Jesus explaining by way of an acted parable by taking the place of a leper so that the leper who was outside, who was excluded, is now inside, and Jesus, who was inside, is now outside, that his mission was not just about conquering power. It was also about taking the place of sinners. He would take our sin upon himself. He would clothe us in his perfect righteousness. And on the tour goes from one stained glass window to the next. Jesus healing a paralyzed man. Jesus in confrontation with the religious and cultural authorities of the day. Jesus calling Levi, the tax collector, to follow him as a disciple. Jesus and his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. Jesus explaining, when challenged by the Pharisees, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. 
Jesus appointing the 12 apostles, Jesus explaining that he came to bind up the strong man and plunder his goods, that he came to take back his own. Jesus surrounded by great crowds, marveling at his deeds of power and mesmerized by his teaching. Now imagine Mark conducting this tour through the vast uh, nave of a great cathedral, all these magnificent stained glass windows showing scenes from the life of Jesus, one after the other, along the east-facing wall that catches the morning sun. And along the opposite west-facing wall, a series of equally beautiful scenes from the Old Testament bathed in the afternoon glow. And as Mark leads you up the nave, up the central hall of the cathedral, as, and, and he points to the east wall and explains one scene after another from the life of Jesus. He keeps turning to the west wall and saying, look over there. You see that scene of Moses at Sinai? Well, that was just a foreshadowing of a greater reality. Look at the scene of Jesus appointing the 12 apostles. That's what the Moses scene anticipated. And do you see that window over there showing Isaiah prophesying the day when God would begin the making of a new world? Well, that's what John the Baptist is echoing in this window over here. And do you see that stained glass window showing Daniel prophesying the coming of an eternal kingdom? Well, look over here. That eternal kingdom is exactly what Jesus was proclaiming in this scene. All these scenes on the Western Wall, all these scenes from the Old Testament, they tell just one story. They tell the story of one great promise. One great promise that God made, that he would one day send a king, a king who would reign over all the earth in perfect wisdom, perfect justice, perfect righteousness, a forever king who would rule the forever kingdom, the kingdom of righteousness and of peace and of joy. Don't you want to live in that kingdom? Don't you long for a world unstained, a world unbent? A world free of wickedness, a world filled with perfect righteousness and peace and joy. Well, all these scenes on the eastern wall, all these stained glass windows showing the life of Jesus also tell just one story. They tell the story of the promised king, the king who has come to begin the making of the new world. They tell the story of the of the inbreaking into this bent and stained world of the promised forever kingdom into a world shrouded in darkness has pierced the light of the sun to a world bound up in the shackles of the prince of demons has come the mightier one to bind up the strong man to plunder his house and to set the captives free all these windows on the west facing wall all these scenes from the Old Testament add up to one story, a promised king and his kingdom. And all these windows on the east facing wall, all these scenes from the life of Jesus add up to one story. The promised king has come and his kingdom reign has begun. And now Mark signals the crowd to stop, to pause at a stained glass window they haven't seen yet. It's an image of Jesus as a farmer sowing seed. Generously he sows, scattering far and wide, 
Some of the seed falls on a path, some amongst rocks, some amongst weeds, some in good deep soil. Of course, in the end, only the seed that had fallen in the good deep soil grew to produce a harvest. But nevertheless, the, far the farmer had sown widely, broadly, generously. And as the sun shines through this stained glass window, we imagine it in, in soft tones of yellows and greens with a light blue sky. A lovely, calm, comforting rural scene. Until Jesus speaks and explains two things, and then the scene is not so comforting. First, he explains why he taught in parables at all. And second, he explains this parable, why he taught in parables at all, and the meaning of this parable. Now, look with me in your Bibles from verse 10. Follow along. Jesus has uh, finished telling the parable to the crowds, and now he's alone with his disciples, the 12 and others. And they ask him about the parable, and Jesus explains to them, verses 11 through to 13. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, never perceiving, ever hearing, never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? We'll come back to these three verses again, but for now I want you to see just two things. First, verse 13, Jesus says that if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any parable. This parable is the key to understanding all of them. Now, Jesus used many different images, different scenes, different, uh, different life situations to construct his parables. Some had to do with sowing seed, some had to do with sheep, some had to do with lamps in the dark, some had to do with weddings. But in this parable, Jesus gives us the framework for understanding all of them. So what is that framework? What, what is the big idea? Follow with me from verse 11. Jesus told them. Who's the them? It's the 12 and others. In verse 10, he told them. The secret of the kingdom has been given to you. But to those on the outside. I'll stop there. With respect to the kingdom of God, there is an inside and there is an outside. Now, if you've been paying attention to all the stained glass windows that have come before this scene, you'll know what that means. Jesus, the long promised king of God's kingdom, has come. He's come as the mighty one to bind Satan, the strong man of the enemy kingdom. He's come to plunder his goods, to take back what is his. Jesus did not come to compromise and coexist with another kingdom. No, Jesus came to destroy the enemy kingdom. So hear this well from the mouth of King Jesus. You are either inside the kingdom of God or outside the kingdom of God. There is no third option. And if you are outside the kingdom of God, then you are inside the kingdom of the enemy. With respect to the kingdom of God, 
there is an inside and there is an outside. How do you imagine Jesus, Jesus would go down as a guest on a, a BBC talk show? And if you think that's offensive, just listen to what he says next. From the end of verse 11. To those on the outside, everything is in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, never perceiving, ever hearing, never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Those on the outside remain unforgiven. Again, stop there. Make sure you hear well what Jesus has just said. Jesus has just said, all of you, every one of you, every person who has ever lived is either inside the kingdom of God or outside the kingdom of God. And what determines whether you are inside or outside is just one thing. Are your sins forgiven? You understand the assumption behind what Jesus has just said, don't you? That all have sinned. All are sinners. All are in need of forgiveness. No exceptions. You are either inside the kingdom of God or you belong to the enemy kingdom. And the only way you can enter the kingdom of God is to be forgiven your sin. No matter how rich you are, you cannot buy entry. No matter how poor you are, pity will not get you in. No matter how powerful or important you think you are, there is no way in other than by the forgiveness of your sin. We will come back to these three verses later, but for now, make sure you've heard Jesus's explanation of what his parables are about. They're not quaint warm and fuzzy, comforting little stories. They are spiritual surgery by which your soul is laid bare. They tell you that you are in or you are out. They tell you that there is only one way in and that that way in leaves zero room to preserve your pride or sense of self-importance. They tell you that your innerness or outness depend 100% on the forgiveness of the one against whom you have sinned. Now, against that background, what does this parable tell us? It tells you how you know if you have been forgiven. It tells you how you know whether you're in or you're out. So how do you know? Now, before we hear Jesus' answer to that question, understand the claim Jesus is about to make. Have clear in your mind that eternity, heaven or hell, in or out, hang in the balance on what this parable reveals about your soul. So how do you know? How do you know if you have been forgiven? How do you know whether you're in or you're out? You know by the response of your heart to the king and the coming of his kingdom. You know by the response of your heart to the king and the coming of his kingdom. 
Follow with me in your Bible from verse 14. Verse 14 of Mark chapter 4. The farmer sows the word. What is the word? It's what Jesus has been proclaiming and demonstrating from the beginning. His very first words reported by Mark, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Since the beginning of his ministry, Jesus has been telling of the kingdom come. And he's been showing what kind of king he is. That's what all the stained glass windows so far have shown us. Portraits of the king. Snapshots of his reign. Foretastes of his forever kingdom. The king who comes. The king who conquers. The king who binds. The king who frees. The king who heals. The king who takes the place of those outside. One window after another. After another. After another. And how does your heart respond to King Jesus and his kingdom? Track with me from verse 15. Is the message of the king and his kingdom easily stolen from you? Or when you hear the news, when you see who he is, do you say, I will not let this be taken from me? Not by anybody. Satan himself could not pry this news from my heart. I will not let it go. Verses 16 and 17. When this news of the king and his kingdom have become your delight and your joy. Such that your life takes on the shape of the kingdom. And your words point others to the king. And trouble and persecution come. On you, because of your love for the king and his kingdom, you will not fall away. Instead, you will say, I will not deny my king. My king who has loved me and rescued me. My king who took my place. Do to me what you will. I will not deny him. Verses 18 and 19. When faced with all the, the, the pleasures this world has to offer, money, comfort, success. And you have the means with which to get those things, every one of you. You have the currency with which to buy all the pleasures of this world. It's not dollars or pounds. It's desire. Do you see that in verse 19? The desire for other things. You only have so much desire to spend in this life. You only have so much heart space. Your, your time and your money and your energies, your skills, your talents will follow your desire. What do you want? What do you desire above all else? When the world says, just spend a little more time, just a little more energy, just a little more, just a little more, just a little more. Buying the treasures and the pleasures of this life. Do you spend your desire there? Or do you look at what, what's offered and say, next to Jesus, all these are less than nothing. Nothing compared. 
Nothing compares. Have you seen my king? Do you know him? I consider everything as nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my king. He alone is worthy. Nothing compares. I will spend my desire on him. If that is how your heart responds to King Jesus and to the coming of his kingdom. If you cling to him such that Satan himself could not pry you away. If you say, I will love him no matter what the cost. If he stands apart, alone in your heart as the object of all your desire. If all of these add up to a kingdom shaped life. That's what the crop is in verse 20. Kingdom seeds must produce a kingdom crop. If your life grows out of the life-giving power of the kingdom at work in your soul, then you know you are inside, not outside. Then you know you are forgiven. For only the forgiven can see it. Look back with me at verse 12. Do you see it ends with the word forgiven? They might turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah uh, chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. Except he changes the last word. In Isaiah, the Lord says of those who continually rebel against his rule that they are spiritually blind they don't perceive properly they are spiritually deaf they don't understand they will not turn and be healed healed but here in mark jesus says verse 12 they may see with their eyes but they are spiritually blind they don't perceive the things of the kingdom they may hear but they are spiritually deaf. They don't understand the things of the kingdom. Otherwise, they should turn and be not healed, forgiven. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Unforgiven souls are spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, unable to understand, unable to perceive the things of the kingdom of God. Bound in your sin, your spiritual senses are broken, dead, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to understand. But it is as God forgives your sin that your spiritual sight and hearing and understanding are made alive. It is in the forgiveness of your sin that you are given spiritual life. Look at what Jesus said to his disciples in verse 11. The secret of the kingdom has been given to you, given to you. You didn't work it out. <laughs> you did not have the spiritual organs with which to work it out. You did not have uh, eyes that could see. Your spiritual eyes and ears and understanding were dead. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Let's pause a moment and remind ourselves where we are. This parable and all parables are about being inside or outside God's kingdom. There are no other options. What determines whether you are in or out? Only one thing. Are your sins forgiven? 
How do you know if your sins are forgiven? You know by the response of your heart to the king and the coming of his kingdom. Is the news of the king and his kingdom the most precious thing you've ever known? Would you beat even Satan himself away from the door of your soul to guard this treasure? Does pleasing him so outstrip pleasing the world that you would, you would even welcome persecution for the honor of suffering for his name, becoming like him in his death and in the glory of his resurrection? Is Jesus king above all kings? Is he the height and the depth and the breadth and the fullness of all your desire? Do the things of the world grow dim in the light of his glory and grace? If that is true, if those things are true of your soul, then rejoice, then sing and shout it from the rooftops for the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. Your sins are forgiven and you are inside. So here we are back in the cathedral with Mark as our tour guide. Now, maybe for some of you listening right now, maybe this is the first time you've come inside the cathedral. Maybe you've seen the building from the outside many times, but just like the church I went to as a boy, from the outside, the, the building isn't all that impressive. Maybe today is the first time you've seen the stained glass windows from the inside with the sun shining through them. Maybe today's the first time you've begun to see that all the stuff about Jesus looks very different from the inside. What's going on in your heart right now? Maybe you're saying in your heart right now, I see, I see him. I see Jesus. My spiritual eyes are open and I see him and I want him. If that's you, then in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to pray and to begin your journey of following Jesus as his disciple. You might be eight years old. You might be 108 years old. It doesn't matter how old you are. If God has opened your eyes today, then today is the day your journey with Jesus begins. Maybe you're saying in your heart right now, I'm certainly seeing things differently. These stained glass windows are definitely different from the inside than they are from the outside. There's something very beautiful going on in here. I'm not 100% sure I really get it, but I want to stay inside and find out more. Friend, if that's you, I'm going to likewise invite you in a few minutes to talk and to pray. I'd encourage you to keep coming. Keep joining us on Sundays to follow Mark's tour. Sometimes our spiritual eyes open in an instant. Sometimes they open slowly. That was the case even for Jesus' own family. Listen to what Mark says at the end of chapter 3. Jesus' mother and his brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my, mothers, my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him. In other words, those with him, 
inside and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. On that day, even Jesus' own mother and brothers were outside. But there came a time when they did see, when their eyes were opened, when the secret of the kingdom was given to them and they were inside. So if your heart says yes to Jesus right now, or if your heart says a little yes, if your heart says, I want to stay close and find out more. Well, then I invite you to use the, the chat button on your Zoom screen. Let me know. And I will arrange for somebody to talk and pray with you when we close in a few minutes time. Finally, it's also true that one who was inside ended his days outside. Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 in verse 10 of Mark chapter 4. Judas was one who appeared for a time to be on the inside. But he betrayed Jesus. Whether Satan stole the word from him or he couldn't bear the persecution he saw coming or he craved other pleasures. In any of those cases, the bottom line is that Jesus wasn't enough for him. And one who gave every appearance of being inside ended up outside, unforgiven, outside the kingdom. Friends, this is not a moment to be precious about your pride. The stakes are too high. Heaven or hell. If this parable has revealed to you that other things have begun to crowd Jesus out of your heart. If this parable has revealed to you your desire for Jesus waning. Now is the moment to repent and return to Jesus. I bet Judas didn't plot his turning away from the beginning. I bet it wasn't on his agenda. I bet he just slid away, little by little, day by day, until one day he was outside. And it was clear that he was never truly inside. Well, right now, friends, right now is the moment to return if that's you. And likewise, use the chat button. Let me know that you want someone to pray with you. All of this will be done in private. You can send me a, a, a message on the chat privately, not to the whole group. And I will set up private prayer rooms uh, at the end of our time together and arrange for somebody to talk and to pray with you. So friends, how does your heart respond to the king and the news of his kingdom? Won't you bow your hearts with me as I pray? Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks once again for your word, for the grace you show us in your word, that time and again you call us to examine our hearts in light of the truth of who Jesus is 
what he has come to do, what he has already done, what he promises yet to do. And to measure our response. Thank you, Father, that you have given us yet days and breath in our lungs to make right, to repent where we need to, to close with Jesus, as used to be said. Father, for those, for those here today for whom it is true that the news of the King brings joy and rejoicing lives shaped by the king and his kingdom we give you thanks for those who today have seen jesus have begun to see for the first time we give you thanks father and pray that you would continue to open eyes for those among us who have slowly drifted Father, have mercy, draw us back for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.